world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. top of everything they, they estimated that would be under for like an hour and a half um i was i was under for like two and a half hours holy crap wow yeah which uh yeah that was the weirdest uh dental visit i've <laughs> had long this was this was an actual licensed bonded dentist like who went to dent this wasn't like just a dude with a drill and some access to good drugs right oh no i i i vet I uh <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say some stuff some stuff you want to like shop around but like you know when it's like someone yanking out parts of your body it's like yeah I'm going to get the good guy. Yeah. I mean maybe maybe I didn't like vet hard enough cuz they are on the second floor of a bank. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> at the bare, at the bare minimum at the bare minimum if there is a shootout uh it should be pretty safe. <laughs> Well, dental misadventures aside, uh, this is technically our, our three-year anniversary, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, St- Steven's holding gifts, and Aldo and I are like, oh, oh I, we remembered. Uh, yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. For, absolutely. Our anniversary is actually, actually, if we want to, okay, if we want to go by anniversary of upload date, the first episode we uploaded was on the 27th of April. Which actually would be the next time we record. So Stephen's early. Um, then Aldo, I'll, I'll just take this opportunity. Stephen probably knows, but the third, the traditional three-year anniversary gift is leather. Oh, is this like the, oh, okay? This is that thing again. <laughs> <laughs> what, what thing? That what thing you we were talking. You guys were talking about like cotton and blue and cobalt or something. For, yeah. Like the anniversaries. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. Go back to that. Yeah. I know. I mean, I don't think people do it anymore. Um, and I think that there's like, you know, modern replacements for the traditional, you know, I don't know. It says that leather represents the flexibility of the marriage. Well, listen, I've never been in a relationship as long as I have been in this podcast. So I'm just going to go with what you tell me. (laughs) Steven, we've successfully gaslit Aldo. It's all it took, apparently. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how anything works after the uh, after the after the first four months. <laughs> well, good news, Aldo. Um, uh, you know, in the the Aldo in the relationship, there's a Stephen, there's a John, there's an Aldo. The Aldo in the relationship is the one who's in charge of uh, uh, dishes and. Um, you know, always knowing where the remote control is. It's a very important job. Sure. So this is the Superhuman Registration Podcast, <laughs> where we talk about comic books. Uh, we are, okay, perhaps a bit premature, but we are here to... About... Was that a gunshot? Did somebody shoot all those? <laughs> it sounded like someone... It sounded like a trash can falling over. Uh, that was probably a trash can falling over. Uh, there are... There are high-speed winds in my neighborhood right now. I'm going to go look outside my window and make sure everything has, is Has Oscar up. the Grouch been assaulted? <laughs> I'm going to go check on my neighbor, Oscar. You moved to Farmington, right? 
Uh, yeah, near Farmington. Near Farmington, yeah. I'm in, I mean, we're both in Davis County, and we're having high wind warnings this evening, so I'm well, worried about background noise while we record. Last year when this happened, like, trees uprooted, it was a, it was a real mess. Well, I didn't get so much as a warning, per se, as I just started experiencing the high winds about an hour ago. So, <laughs> unless that was the warning, then I'm scared. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I'm Steven. We've got John and Aldo here. Um, we read a bunch of Spider-Man comics for tonight. You guys, you guys want to talk about some Spider-Man? I mean, as a general rule, yes. Like, you know, any given day of the week. Yeah, yeah, Spider-Man. <laughs> but yeah, I, could take, I, I, could, I could take some Spider-Man. Yeah, I could take a couple spiders in my man. Nope. Don't like that. <laughs> could have phrased that better. But you know about spiders, man. Oh gosh, yes, the the man who is actually a bunch of spiders. Yes, who is constantly trying to uh, eat people, but not, but not. He, I mean, no, he's only asking if people are edible for no real reason. That is terrifying. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, let's. Uh, where do we want to start? Do we want to start with Spider-Man: Civil War? We could do that. I'm. I got it open here, for better or for worse. Because um, I know that this <laughs> Till is one. Death do us. Uh oh. <laughs> This is the tie-in, the Amazing Spider-Man tie-in for the Civil War event. And we read issues 532 to 539? Sound right? Something like that? Sounds about right. There were seven issues. So, um, this is what's happening. We get the the in-depth conversations that don't happen in the main Civil War story. At the beginning... Of all of this, uh, Peter Parker has been taken under Tony Stark's wing, and he gives him an upgraded suit. The spider is it the Spider Slayer suit? Does it have a name? Is it just Iron Spider? Iron, Iron spider, spider. That's right. I was getting sorry. There have been recently, as of late, between video games and movies, there have been more suits um, with cool names, and so I was getting them mixed up. But uh, a red and gold suit. I'm not crazy about the colors, but I do love the uh, the arms, the extra arms, the Waldos. I think he calls them. Anyhow, that's a bad name. It is a bad name, but uh, I didn't name them. So take it up with the writer of this book, J. Michael Straczynski, and uh, possibly the uh, artist who is uh, Ron Ga- uh, Garney. Garney, excuse me. Um, colorist Mike Miller, uh, inker Ben Reinhold, and uh, letterer Corey Pettit. Now, we start off with the Superhuman Registration Act, which may ring it may ring familiar because that's where we took the name for our podcast. Uh, superheroes have to register um, like they're law enforcement agents and can't have secret identities anymore. And half the superhero community is against it, and they side with Captain America, and the other half are for it and are wrong, and they side with Tony Stark. And Spider-Man, who has been... Uh, working with Tony, is first decides, yes, this is the right thing to do, um, and sides with Tony, and they have a lot of conversations about this that we get in this run, where Peter's kind of struggling with, oh man, I have to fight Captain America at some point? I'm a, If I'm against Captain America, what does that mean? And, um, you know, he's being told by Reed Richards and Tony Stark that, like, we have to have laws, we have to, you know, be held to a higher standard, we have to, you know be kept in check um so we start off uh where he's you know talking to mary jane he's talking to aunt may about this he um doesn't like what he sees after they have a run-in where um 
Goliath dies, um, he demands to see the negative zone prison. Well, the the prison complex where people are being held, and he finds out it's in the negative zone, just a terrible place. And uh, he is feeling worse and worse about his role in all of this, and decides um, to uh, join up with Captain America. He fights Captain America, and um, in fighting him, realizes oh, I'm, you know, and and seeing what Tony's what lengths that Tony Stark has gone to, he decides that oh, this is not right. As soon as he like says out loud, uh, "I'm on the wrong side," of course, Iron Man shows up and they fight. And um, we see in the main storyline, I think, some of the um, the Thunderbolts, the uh, the convicts that they have, like you know, bad guys that they're using on their side, fight with him. But he's rescued by the Punisher and joins up with Captain America, and then. Um, while this is going on, the Kingpin is interested after, I didn't even meant, I'm sorry guys, I'm the worst, I'm the absolute worst at summarizing, because it starts, the whole thing starts off with, with, with Peter Parker unmasking himself and saying, I'm Spider-Man, um, my name is Peter Parker and I've been Spider-Man since I was 15 years old. Uh, J. Jonas J- Jameson has like a heart attack, <laughs> he freaks out, um, Wilson Fisk decides, uh, to take out. Peter Parker and his wife Mary Jane um, and and possibly Aunt May it's kind of just kill Peter Parker if you can and whoever's with him that's just icing on the cake and he's orchestrating all of this from prison so Peter Parker has joined Captain America sent his family to some little motel to keep them safe Um, they are sold out by someone at the motel Uh, a sniper just sits and waits and sits and waits and sits and waits and then finally um takes his shot after everything calms down as far as the Civil War and Peter returns and because of his spider sense he's able to get uh, Mary Jane out of the way but Aunt May is struck and um, we go to Back in Black which is not a bad run and then we go to um, uh, our what is it is it the second to last on our list or the very lowest (laughs) one more day which I didn't yep. realize that J. Michael Straczynski also wrote this because we get some of the best parts of Civil War and, I think, comics. Um, we get the Know You Move speech from Captain America in this run. Um, we get, you know, a lot of good moments between uh, uh, Spider-Man and, and Iron Man. And we get a lot of good, you know... Mary Jane and uh, Aunt May conversations and kind of, you know, what does it mean to, how how can you be a hero with all of this crap going on? Um, And then it goes into this awful, like, give me your marriage or your your aunt's life. (laughs) I'm the devil. Yeah. Yeah, we we definitely yeah. we definitely get uh, Tony Stark at his at his douchiest. Cor- yeah, that is yeah correct. He's the worst. Yeah, I, I like Stephen always oh says gosh, like oh Tony Stark Tony Stark is the worst. Tony Stark is the worst. I'm like come on come on come on. And then I read this and I was like oh yeah Stephen remembers yeah. this clearer than I do. <laughs> he yeah. is the worst. <laughs> Tony yeah. Stark is just straight up a supervillain in this. Like yeah. really though. Yeah. He's a politician. And like Reed Richards is not any better either. He's like. We have to uphold the law. The law may be wrong, but it will eventually get it right. And it's like, really? Do you hear the words that are coming out of your... Captain America should punch your rubber face. You know, for... I hate... I'd hate to use this term, but I'm going to use it. We should do get a lot of bootlegging about the laws here. We're like... Oh. <laughs> if the laws... If the, lo- the law exists because it's just right. But mm-hmm. it's also like, no. But it's also like, if the just not... If the law is not just, it'll get changed eventually 
yeah. but for now yeah. we have to follow it and yeah. it's like it's not hurting me it's just hurting the exactly, you know. exactly. Yeah. I've seen what happens to people who who break the law it's not good but it's also like have you thought about how, you know how those laws end up changing have have the MCU forgotten about the civil rights movement yeah <laughs> what does it have to take to change these laws you know if they're wrong yeah um, this because you think like well there is a point like there should be some kind of check there should be some kind and then you you're like ew, ew, no 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 I think the movies um, in Cap 3 Civil War you know it's a bit finer line I think they do a bit better job of you know hey we messed up and we gotta come clean this was this like just Tony Stark sucks. And oh my gosh, so much. This, I think, you know, I, I don't mind Civil War as much as um, others on this podcast. I, uh, you know, think that there, there are good things about it. And this, I think, is the best of it, is this Spider-Man run. We we see how this is, you know, tearing up Peter Parker and how he's pulled in both directions and, you know, really struggling with it. One of my favorite scenes in comics is him fighting Captain America, and you you get you don't always get you know this level of insight where it's oh man his moves are not just like good fighting moves it's all one move he's you know the best tactician he's you know uh, unmatched hand to hand and so Spider Man has to like you know beat him as a spider and he really only you know gets him to a standstill he doesn't he's not able to like you know beat captain america um and then we get his great speech he quotes um you know mark twain and then he you know says if everything combines against you 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 know plant yourself and i could just read it you plant yourself in the ground and say no you move you know that's that's the gist of it and it's it's a great speech i i really liked it um and I, I want to be done talking so I can hear what you guys had uh, have to say about it. It's the best parts of Civil War with lip service only given to the worst parts of Civil War. Like you see uh, Ben Foster's giant grave, which yeah. is uh, a choice. Your, but, uh, um, your quote for that came to mind immediately the, the moment I saw the oversized grave. I was going to make where it. Black Goliath was buried in the ground in the tarpon chains. Yes. Hey, is, is that is that the line? Yes. Sorry, I was gonna. Yeah. I meant to have a bell prepared going. Ding ding. Steven said it again. <laughs> um, yeah, I I still didn't love it, and in large part it's because it doesn't have a lot of what I want out of a Spider-Man story. It's got, and I think this might have been a problem with this era of Spider-Man, or at least the married era of Spider-Man, where it was all serious all the time and you have very little room for the the quips and the the energy that really makes spider-man such an enjoyable character um it's all just this tension between parker and stark the whole time and stark is just you know at his most insufferable um and there's there's not enough of the you know trademark spider-man levity to offset it um, but that said, like, the thematic stuff of here's a man who's trying to do the right thing, and he messes up, and so he, you know, tries to make amends, and it still winds up costing him. That's kind of the perfect sort of Spider-Man arc, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, you're right. 
there's there's not enough Spider-Man in this Spider-Man, but that's also kind of the point, and it's addressed that they're like, oh, he's not joking around, and it's that is the point is that he's you know he he is shook and is not himself because he you know is first going against you know people he's looked up to and then you know has to come to terms with that. I I think you know we don't get I don't I don't know as far as the rest of the era. You know, like leading up to this or after this, a little bit. I mean, I've read a little bit after this, obviously, but um, yeah, yeah. Married Spider-Man. We need like down on his luck, late for dinner, hapless uh, schlub. Kind of, you know, saves the saves the ro- bank robbery, but you know, forgot to pick up that thing for Aunt May on the way home. Kind of deal. You know, yeah. We need that Spider-Man. Yes, um, but it is you know brought up that he's not joking around with Tony like he usually does because he's. You know, he's just wrecked by this whole situation. Yeah, like, the thematic stuff is good. It's still, it's kind of a chore to read just because it doesn't have that that fun and that levity that that I want from Spider-Man. I I mean, granted, we are reading a tie-in to Civil War, which was played pretty straight the whole time. So, like, yeah, I know it doesn't have, like, the levity that we'd like from a typical Spider-Man book, but, like, I guess it, it also doesn't have, like, like, it doesn't have the tonal whiplash that you would get, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing is, I look at the top of our list, the very, very top of our list, and you can see stories that kind of get this serious subject matter balanced with the levity, and they do it right. So, it's possible. Mm-hmm. That's fair. It's, yeah, and it's... it's uh, it, yeah. <laughs> um, interesting aspect of this story, though, something that I notice this time around Peter Parker's not the only one who gets it wrong Aunt May gets it wrong Mm -hmm. like Parker is on the fence about joining up with Tony Stark and supporting the Registration Act and May kind of talks him into it and then Parker's on the fence about like fighting against the Registration Act and then May talks him into that too is that do you think just whatever you want to do is fine dearie kind of just like the unquestionable unquestionably unquestioningly supportive parent no because i think in this case she was more active about him revealing himself right like she wasn't necessarily going to let him not do it she definitely pushed him in that direction and not like in a i'll support you if you decide to do this type of thing it was like uh i sure wish everybody would see my son as a hero like the hero he is type thing um not Which kinda. I feel like that's a little bit of a retcon. Like, as I recall from the early Spider-Man that I've read, Aunt May thought Peter Parker, or excuse me, Aunt May thought Spider-Man was a uh, was a terrorist, was like a, a bad person. Until she found out it was Peter. You know, I've actually never read the stories where, where May finds out that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. A lot of them are, a lot of them are in Straczynski runs. <laughs> oh, all right mm-hmm, then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. It's funny, though, because, like, when I was reading the story this time, May's little speeches kind of gave me the impression that the morally correct thing for Peter Parker to do was unmask and then fight against the registration cause. Because, huh. like, yeah, it's, it's interesting to me in this age of, uh, you know, social media and online presences, the idea of a secret identity means something different now than it used to and there's a part of me and again like i hate to get this topical especially on this subject because i'm not going to be able to treat it i don't think with the with the 
uh, respect that it deserves. But we're dealing with, you know, another set of uh, unjustified police killings of, uh, you know, black men, which is horrifying that this keeps happening. And it really makes me question this idea of, you know, individuals who uphold the status quo via violence and have their identities protected so they never have any external accountability for their actions, right? Like, speaking of dour and, you know, not having the right level of levity, let me talk about horrifying <laughs> current events in our uh, goofy podcast about children's books. No, it's like going over the arguments, you know, that both Tony and Steve Rogers drop. It's like, oh man, like, are we having similar arguments? But like, you know, replace superheroes with, you know, like whatever the, the thing of the day. I watched um, Trial of the Chicago 7. Mm-hmm. Uh, an Aaron Sorkin movie where, you know, he, he they, um, people were put on trial for, you know, the protesting in Chicago during the uh, Democratic National uh, Committee or the uh, convention and um, all these civil rights problems that they're bringing up. They were, I mean, they were really protesting because of, you know, the war in Vietnam, but all of the civil rights problems that are going on, it's like, oh, crap, like, we're, we're in it again, you know? And it's it was, a, I mean, on purpose, like, the movie was made with the, I, I, I think, to, for today's audience, you know, about, you know, a, a thing that happened, shoot, right. years and years ago now, but, yeah. That's been, like, 50 years. That's insane. I know, right? Which really isn't actually that long ago. Uh-huh. Like, parents, our parents remember that. Our grandparents remember that. Um, but also, it still feels like forever ago. It, it's, time is weird and I hate it. Um, yeah. But anyway, so it's like, it's just interesting because I think the, the moral questions that Civil War raises, um, they, they hit differently today than they did when the story was written. Because I think when the story was written, and we covered this when we talked about the Civil War event itself, um, I think this was meant to be some sort of parallel for the gun debate. Huh. And I'm not sure that it reads that way anymore, especially not, especially not the Spider-Man story in particular. Yeah, I don't get, I don't get it as much as I get like civil rights and and you know the role of of police kind of like that's kind of and maybe that's just because we're reading it now. If I'd read it at the yeah. time, I don't know. Like, I think, I think it carries like dual meanings. I, I think. Part yeah. Of it, I mean, part of it is the whole you know we have to be able to hold people accountable for the things that yeah. they do. Mm-hmm. There's definitely danger in having people out. With, you know, and it, I guess for lack of a better term, for, for loaded guns, maybe without the training or accountability that comes with being a public face or knowledge, right? But the other side or the other layer to this whole story is that, like, we, uh, you know, not because a law is a law doesn't mean it's it's a just law. And it, and it right. is up to the people to fight to change that law. And that's the, the thematic element that I think the Spider-Man portion of Civil War focuses on the most and addresses overall fairly well, right? Just because it's the law doesn't mean it's right. And I think one of the things that's frustrating about it is that it takes, in order for this position to appear to be uh, courageous, characters who are normally fairly morally upstanding have to take kind of ludicrous positions. 
Not Tony Stark because you know screw that guy. He's he's bad. <laughs> but you know we've read some more Fantastic Four. Reed Richards doesn't strike me as the type of person who will follow the law simply because it's the law. And that's the role he's forced into in this story. In other elements of Civil War, we see that, oh, he's actually done some sort of mathematical equation that proves that the only way to keep the peace and to prevent Armageddon is to have the Registration Act, which I don't know how you prove that with math, but you go, you you do you, Richards. Um, Even the whole world operates on math, don't you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know how. Like, what are the numbers that you use for that? Just whatever. It's it's superhero mathematics. It yeah, man, we're talking sense. about a medium that has a sadness equation. Is there a sadness, sadness equation? equation, or or whatever the the the, the sad thing is that Darkseid tries to? Oh, the anti-life equation. Yeah. Oh. yeah no, like... you see. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the difference between what Reed Richards is doing and what Jack Kirby was doing in, in The New Gods. Reed Richards, like, in a very serious story, writes all over the walls, like, numbers that prove that you need to uh, forcibly intern uh, people who are not complying with an arbitrary law. Whereas Jack Kirby has a story... Where a character who is literally named Darkseid from the planet Apocalypse has the anti-life equation that he uses to, like, enslave people's minds and justify their hate. Like, it's so ridiculous and over the top when Jack Kirby does it. When Reed Richards does it, it's, it's played very serious and very straight. When Jack Kirby does it, there's still the sense of fun to it. The character's name is literally Darkseid. Yeah, subtlety is for losers. Seriously, though. <laughs> Definitely wasn't for Jack Kirby. That man did not know Subtle. Didn't need to. I think he knew Subtle. I think he just purposely put blocked Subtle on Facebook and just didn't want to talk to them. But they knew Subtle. <laughs> he went to high school with Subtle and that guy grew up and got red-pilled, red so screw him. <laughs> so, yeah, Subtle grew up to, to, to drive a Ford F-150 and it has a Punisher uh, Blue Lives Matter sticker on the bumper. <laughs> Oh, gosh. And a flag <laughs> still on the back. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that's against the flag code. Not that the flag code is actually, like, binding law, but... Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I just didn't want to say... It wasn't an American flag, but I don't want to <laughs> say what it was. <laughs> yeah. Let's... let's Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh... Completely got lost in this. Um, anyway, yeah, so I feel like we've read enough Fantastic Four recently to know that Richards isn't necessarily the type that's going to do, like, just toe the line because that's what the law says to do, right? It, this feels like a character assassination a little bit for Richards. A little because yeah, he gives this this story. Has that uncle ever come up before? Where he's I don't like, think so. It reads like a Straczynski invention. And, and it was like... Hey, that guy sounds all right if he, you know, told the House and Americans uh, committee to, you know, get lost or whatever. Um, like, all right, you know, I'd be. And, but he's like, no, but he was wrong. It's like, maybe, maybe, <sighs> I, I, I don't know. Like his own, his own arguments. It's like you know that no, no, this is dumb. <laughs> like just. Ugh. I don't. I don't know that it was character assassination. But then again, I don't know that that it was or wasn't. But um. It definitely does feel like, hey, we need to justify how Reed Richards would work on something like this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
And it turns out he's motivated by fear, which is not a great motivation for a hero. No, exactly, exactly. I did like that we do have this whole thing where, like... And I don't know that this got brought up in the actual Civil War. Maybe it did, and it's been a while since, we, since, since we've read it. Uh, but it really does... I, I do like the part where, like, maybe... Like, his whole family isn't supporting him on this, right? Because you do have... Ben is there for reasons that are not made clear in this book. Bro code. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then you also have uh, Johnny Storm, uh, you know, kind of playing, kind of being the inside guy or whatever. Uh, so, you know, he's he's definitely not on the right side of this stuff. But, like, I don't know. Granted, we're only seeing a part of the full story. Yeah. Yeah, and taken on its own without, like, any attachment for the character of Reed Richards, he serves his role in the story fine. Just, yeah, it's fine. It's not what I, it's not the take that I want to see on the character, but it's fine. It. Yeah, it's not really about him, so I'm okay with this, like, yeah, I don't know if Reed would really be, uh, whatever, he's sorry, we're already moving on. So, yeah. Issue 536 or 537, there's an image of uh, Mary Jane, like, she wakes up at, like, 2.30 in the morning, and, and Peter Parker's out watching TV, and she's like, you want to come back to bed? I'll give you a back rub so that you can go to sleep. She's like, no, I'm fine. And then she's like, okay, and as she's leaving the room, she's, like, scratching her butt. Some people, some people get to be the first on the moon, or the first to, you know, circumnavigate the globe, or the first one to invent something. But you know, this team wanted to be the first to, like, you know, we've never had Mary Jane scratch her butt before, so like, let's plant <laughs> our flag on that, on that. <laughs> I also I like the part where Mary Jane is like, Peter, you can't go out like that. Everybody knows your face, and he's like, oh yeah. Miss Model Wife, and she's like, "Listen here, buddy, boy, I know how to distract a few men." And then, and then gives herself a crop top. Aunt May was in the room yeah. when she was doing that. Yep, gross. And that oh, didn't so really funny. help or lead to anything. So you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Kingpin stuff in this is very good. Love Kingpin. Sure wish it was Kingpin is such... Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. There's a whole book where we're dedicated to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what's here, you know, it's it's the Kingpin. I like the Kingpin a lot. <laughs> yeah. I like that he is... I mean, it kind of comes back to bite him in the, next, in the next story arc, but I like that he is a supervillain without powers. He's able to, you know, based on his cunning and his you know willingness to to you know do whatever it takes and just you know his scheming and everything he is a, gen- a genuine threat to superpowered people just because of you know the way he operates yeah his his connections his cunning his ruthlessness yeah uh he's kingpin's such a good villain yeah there's a there's a theory going around right now and this is probably going to be wrong like every other theory related to the uh disney marvel television properties but um there's a theory going on right now that the power broker in falcon and the winter soldier is actually going to turn out to be vincent d'onofrio i i would love that because i was wondering we all would would. it won't be yeah (laughs) yeah but it would be great you remember how we all thought the engineer was going to be reed richards yeah yep or like, whoever was responsible for everything going on in the Hex was actually going to turn out to be Mephisto. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. It'd be, that's too yeah. easy for it to just be the Kingpin and, you know, work out. We got, the crazy thing we got was getting uh, Quicksilver recast as the actor from the 
uh, X Men films wasn't which didn't even mean anything. Yeah, yeah, it was more like it a, was a literal uh, boner uh, joke. Yeah. Oh my God, stop it! I'm, <laughs> I'm usually for for a good boner joke, but not not this not this one. <laughs> Not like this. Not like this. Not like this. Oh yeah, talking about uh, Kingpin making everything personal. Man, I really like that reaction that uh, Jay Jonah has. Oh yeah, yeah. That's. I think it's such a small part of this whole story overall, but it's one of those things that I remember the most because he talks a lot about how uh, what what is this in an industry or or in a world full of lies. He always felt that Peter Parker was like the one honest person to him. Yeah. Um, and to find out that, you know, he's been playing him for so many years. Or, you know, well, not playing him, but he feels like he's been played. Yeah. Um, he's not wrong to think that, yeah. though. We he's know not. That no, no. Peter no, wasn't, like, not. trying to fool him. He was just trying to keep his secret. But, like, from his point of view, he's like, this this whole world is against me. Even Peter Parker. And I love that he mentions, like, you know, I, I bought some of his photos, even though the composition was bad. Like, he gave him a chance. Yeah. You know? And that was like, oh, J- Jonah Jameson, is a, there's a little heart in there. And then, yeah. then he's like, well, Sue, Sue. Jo- I think, and I think it's... Uh, I don't know, I think Jonah has always been one of the more human characters of of the Spider-Man lineup. Um, well, not always. Not not always. I mean, granted, there were the times in those early stories where he was just straight up a supervillain. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, especially when he started up like and the anti-Spider Squad, and then he was the mayor, and he had like his put bigle thing. But I think. Yeah. I th- yeah. Okay. So okay, like any Spider-Man villain or character, he has moments where he's really human. And I think the stories about him where it really kind of pins down on, one, his hatred of Spider-Man, and two, I guess, like, his love of Peter Parker, where he's always seen him as a bit of a son, as a bit of a, of, like, this, you know, young startup that reminds him of himself, and he does what he can to help him out. I think when you have a lot of those stories in context, this really does feel like, like a, like a stab in the back. Yeah. Oh, absolutely does. Yeah. And it's... Absolutely. And I think it's... I wish there was a little bit more time dedicated to it. Just just maybe a few pages more or something. But maybe the fact that it's such a short moment that's dedicated to him is part of what helps with that impact. I don't know. I, I, I think you're right. I also would have liked to see more, but, you know, maybe more of it and we it wouldn't be as... Like, he would, he would come off either too nice or too harsh if there was more time devoted to it for him to really, like, let loose and be like, Ah, I just wanted pictures of Spider-Man. These are menaced. You know... Uh, sorry, every time... J.K. Simmons was perfect casting. <laughs> you know, you can talk about Heath yeah. Ledger all you want, but it's it's about J.K. Simmons. Anyway. Uh, I don't I don't even want to, to see the results of that March Madness bracket. Um, I'll tell you I'll tell you what, it's it's a close tie between J.K. Simmons and Patrick Stewart. Oh, that is oh, true. Yeah. That oh yeah. Oh my true. gosh, yeah. The, like the most blindingly yeah. obvious casting choice in the world that yeah it was perfect yeah. um so anything else we want to say about uh war at home i think that's what this is called right sure yeah um i think that the uh art is the art's all right especially that butt scratching art yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> you really got to convey that the, the itchiness <laughs> um but yeah it's it's you know it's fine so no complaints there, but yeah. Okay, well, um, why don't why don't we talk about Jajabrams? This is interesting. Our we have a less obvious theme for for tonight's books. 
Um, in addition to them both being Spider-Man stories, they're both stories that were written by former TV writers. What did uh, J. Mike... I haven't stalked him on his Wikipedia. Straczynski uh, wrote Babylon 5. Oh. I think, um, I think he wrote Lost also, didn't he? That was... Didn't Abrams, Abrams write Lost? Oh, he was the producer. I thought, I thought Straczynski yeah. wrote on Lost. I'll tell you in just a moment. I, oh, I gotta, I gotta Straczynski wrote some episodes of She-Ra, Princess of Power. <laughs> well, then. Babylon 5, that movie Changeling with uh, Angeline Jolie, Sense8, which uh, was a couple years ago on uh, Netflix, World War Z, uh, the story for the movie Thor. Yeah, I'm, I'm just... Uh, oh, for I don't television. see Lost. I thought he did yeah. lost, but I guess not. He did write for Walker, Texas Ranger, though. So. Oh, you know what? Uh, you know what you're thinking of? I, this is easy to make a mistake. Yeah, it, he wrote on Murder She Wrote, which a lot of people get mixed up with Lost. Oh, uh, yeah, know what? that sounds it's right. I was, I was pretty lost <laughs> in all the plot. Well, you see, people keep inviting Angela Lansbury to dinner parties, and someone always dies. I think if you're going to invite her, you, you make sure that you, no one is coming that you care about because someone always dies. Yeah. Oh man, the meta murder of murder she wrote. <laughs> it's like really, like, she's I just... did the murder because I invited someone that I wanted to die. Yeah. Oh gosh. And I dropped a little clues that'll confuse Jessica Fletcher. I'm a little surprised that he was a not just a writer, a co-creator of She-Ra: Princess of Power. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, that's what it says on Wikipedia. Wikipedia doesn't lie. Nobody can go in there and just. Oh it. yeah, you can't just yeah throw up anything you want there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, so Spider-Man. This is like the series is just called Spider-Man. I think in our spreadsheet we we named it Cadaverous. Well, it's also the name of the trade. Oh, is it the name of the trade, yeah. too? If you try to buy the J.J. Abrams uh, Spider-Man book in your local comic store, it's apparently Cadaverous is on the title. Because I, I guess there's just a few too many books called Spider-Man. I think Cadaverous is a way you describe a really, really spooky haunted house. Oh, how was your how was your trip through the haunted house this Halloween? Oh, it was Cadaverous. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I looked it up. Cadaverous is actually a word, but it means, like, similar to a cadaver. Yeah. So, you know, it's not the best supervillain name. No. But it's the name we've got. So anyway, this is an uh, alternate universe Spider-Man story written by J.J. Abrams and Henry Ab- Abrams, excuse me, with uh, art by Sarah Pacelli, uh... Inks partially done by Elisabetta D'Amico, uh, Dave Stewart is a colorist, and Joe Caramanga is the letterer. Uh, alternate universe story. In this universe, Peter Parker and Mary Jane, they married, they had a beautiful red-headed baby boy named Ben, and before Ben is old enough to really understand what's going on in the world, there is this horrifying battle on a bridge... Mary Jane is there, Peter Parker is there, we see his arm is just torn all to bits, like he's gonna lose that hand. Uh, Mary Jane dies in this battle, and Peter Parker is so distraught by this that he gives up being Spider-Man forever, uh, gives his little baby Ben to Aunt May to raise, and then he just goes off and, you know, does business on the other side of the globe. So he basically completely removes himself from his boy's life. Ben grows up, 
being really resentful of his dad, not really having a lot of place in the world, but also, like, he's freakishly strong and thus is somewhat shunned by his, his classmates. He, uh, is a bit of an outcast, but does like to stand up when he sees his, his, uh, peers getting bullied. Anyway, he meets this girl who walks into class one day and she's covered in paint because she got in a fight with the art teacher who's apparently getting handsy with students. Like, yeah, that felt that's icky. kind of horrifying. Yeah. Anyway, I'm trying to remember, what's the what's the girl's name? Are you talking about the Ben's friend, new friend? Yes. Yeah. Oh, Faye Ito. Faye Ito. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so Faye is, um, I hate to say this. I, I don't like to, I I don't think there's enough. Faye is the manic pixie dream girl I of this knew story. It. There it is. There it is. Yep. Man, we almost have Stephen Bingo. <laughs> you're, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, her purpose in this story is to inspire, and I'm quoting here from the online dictionary, to inspire a greater appreciation for life in the male protagonist. That is what she does in this story. Uh-huh. She has a superhero costume that she dresses up in. She calls herself the Marker. The Marker. She shows up in what is basically knockoff Catwoman cosplay to uh, encourage Ben to come out with her to go tag buildings with, like, they go to a bank and they they tag it with Predator. Um, So, you know, real hard-hitting social commentary there. Ben doesn't have a costume to wear, um, but he winds up, like, Aunt May comes out and gives him one of his dad's old Spider-Man costumes. He just found out that his dad is Spider-Man, and he completely resents his dad for it. It's like, you could have been doing all of this amazing stuff all along and you wouldn't do it. So he, like, burned his old costume. And Aunt May's like, eh, we've got another one. Put this on and go out and, and go vandalize like you kids <laughs> like to do nowadays. Man, you know how younger kids, like, get more uh, privileges than the older kids in a family? It's true with grandsons as well as, like, you know, she wouldn't <laughs> let, you know, Peter go run amok. And then she's like, oh, make sure you bring extra, make sure you bring extra spay paint and bail money. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh so anyway um this prompts a whole lot of interest for like the world over because apparently superheroes don't exist anymore it wasn't just spider-man who quit after that fight with cadaverous there are no more superheroes anymore um so peter parker sees this on tv and is horrified cadaverous sees this on tv and he's like oh this is important because this will lead us to the key. We don't quite know what the key is at this point, but we know that Cadaverous wants it, and therefore it's no good. So Peter Parker uh, shows back up and tries to convince his boy to not be Spider-Man anymore. Um, and then Cadaverous appears and kidnaps him, stabs Parker right through the chest and hauls him off to... Some secret location where it looks like they're harvesting his blood. And it turns out that Cadaverous also has a wife. Mrs. Cadaverous is, is kind of horrified by what's going on. And she needs pure blood sample than what we've got. The, the blood from Peter Parker isn't sufficient. So they now know they need to go and capture Ben as well. Meanwhile, Ben and Faye head off to try to find Iron Man to get more information about what's going on. They meet up with uh, Riri Williams, who is uh, currently just kind of working as uh, Tony Stark's assistant. Uh, 
we find out Stark's been hanging out in a basement, like, drinking in the hot rod. He has a ponytail that Faye calls a man bun. That is not a man bun. That is a ponytail. Tony Stark is just a mess. He autographs Ben's face for some reason. Um, and we get the backstory behind Cadaverous. Cadaverous was some kind of no-name Stark employee who worked for Howard Stark at the same time as Richard and Mary Parker, Peter's parents. Um, he had this uh, crazy invention that was going to, like, redefine medicine, um, but, you know, things didn't work out uh, with Stark Industries. I think they got laid off by uh, Howard, and so they kind of went nuts, and again, you know, kind of pretty standard supervillain backstory stuff, frankly. Yeah. So yeah, whatever secret the key was, it wound up in the spider that bit Peter, which is why they wanted Peter's blood, because P Peter's blood now basically has the secret to immortal immortality. Bring, like, Cadaverous is going to bring his wife back to life forever, and they're going to have eternal life and just be evil forever. Um, but like I said, Peter's blood isn't pure enough, so now they need Ben, and they've tracked Ben to Stark's hideout, and they use their secret cadaverous technology to bring to life the dead bodies of the Avengers. And so we get this big fight sequence between a very unskilled Peter Parker, or Ben Parker, uh, Ironheart, the Marker, and uh, Iron Man shows up, and they, and they like fight the dead Avengers. And honestly, that's kind of fun. And then they have a showdown with... Um, Cadaverous to try to rescue Peter Parker. One of Cadaverous's minions actually winds up helping Ben and Peter with everything, and it turns out that this minion is Mary Jane. Um, Cadaverous has been able to distill, like, one dose of this miracle cure, and he's going to use it to bring his wife back to life, who she does not actually like him. She's just using him for his power, but she finds him kind of disgusting. And so when he inevitably fails to bring her back, she just completely turns on him, and it's, I think, supposed to be tragic. But the reason that they aren't able to uh, use the dose on Mrs. Cadaverous is because Ben gives it to Peter Parker, who doesn't inject himself, he injects Mary Jane. And so Mary Jane is alive again. Uh, Cadaverous and Mrs. Cadaverous wind up uh, killing Peter Parker... But Mary Jane and Ben Parker are going to go on for a good long life as spider heroes themselves. They get brand new spider costumes from Aunt May, and that's where the story ends. Oh, they, they were from they were from Tony. Oh, were they from Tony Stark? Yeah, Aunt May. Yeah, oh, that makes them worse. <laughs> There's probably like malware, like hidden porn files in there or oh. something. It's just. Okay. Tony Stark's the worst. He's also the worst in this story. He's slightly less the worst in this story than he was in the other story, but he's still the worst. Yeah. It's funny, like, uh, again, I've been talking too much, so I'll let you guys talk in a minute, but I just have to, because we're talking about Tony Stark, because of course we are, because he's the worst. Um, it occurred to me, again, and I've said this before, these lines of dialogue read as if they were written for Robert Downey Jr. That, like, more that than always any bothers other... Me. Yeah, more than any other, like, bit of Iron Man dialogue I've ever read, 
these re- these lines were intended for Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. The problem is without Downey Jr.'s delivery, the lines are no good. He he uh like you look at Iron Man uh, the first Iron Man movie and he like elevated that, I think. You know. Yeah. Um, still it's, has a bad it's third all about act, the performance. But but yeah, he really, you know, brought something special and we we you know, because that movie was so good, we got 10 years of of great movies that culminated in a wonderful two-part finale that I I, I just still think about that every day. But I it bothers me when and this came up I think in the Guardians of the Galaxy comics we've read where the comics are yeah. building on your knowledge from the movies and not from the years and years and years of storylines that have come before. Uh, I'd like to keep the medium separate as much as possible, but I don't know if that is possible anymore. Yeah. But it's, yeah, building on what you know from the movies. It's like, hey, you like Iron Man? No, you like Robert Downey Jr., but we're going to make this Iron Man like Robert Downey Jr. Yep. Um, yeah, this this book also does... Um, I don't know what I... I don't know if I would consider it like a cardinal sin of Spider-Man writing... Uh, but it ranks pretty high on my pet peeves of like, this is not how you do a, a Spider-Man story. And I hate when they give Spider-Man any sort of chosen oneness. Because uh, I feel like that kind of goes against the character. Because the character of Spider-Man is a character who was, is, wasn't really anybody all that special. Yeah, he's smart and all that stuff, right? But like nothing that nobody was. So like him getting the spider was just luck, right? Or just circumstance so so for it to be like a yeah he carry in his blood he carries the blood of, of obviously his father that was instrumental in this experiment and combined with the spider serum that just makes him the key and it's like really okay that sounds like the plot to yeah. Spider- amazing spider-man 2 and i've seen amazing spider-man 2 <laughs> <laughs> or amazing spider-man 1 either or take your pick there's only two. The um, scientist that <laughs> used to work for Tony Stark, and used or used to work for you know Richard and and uh, Mary Parker, yeah, yeah, um, that felt like it was you know you know borrowing from the movie. It felt like also like Iron Man one and Amazing Spider Man one and two, like it, it or Iron Man two and Amazing Spider Man two. I, yeah. And I and I know we mentioned that Mary Jane uh, dying and coming back, but did we mention that like if you were reading this. Uh, like I was uh, monthly as it was coming out until it stopped for like a year. Uh, boy, did Mary Jane get fridged. I mean, she did, but she also wound up coming back. And like, I don't know if that necessarily makes it better. It kind of makes it better, doesn't it? Uh, but the, I mean, a little bit. But I feel like the initial shock value of Mary Jane dying and motivating and being the motivation for, for the characters for the next three out of the five issues. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that it makes it that much better. I mean, it... I don't think it makes it worse. But none of that necessarily means that makes it good. Yeah. Is that wishy-washy enough? Yes. Part of me is like, of course all the random drones that happen to be there, uh, you know, uh, the one that... Not only did Mary Jane, you know, survive in that form this whole time, but also is, you know, in the right place at the right time. If they had seeded that earlier where, you know, one drone starts to act funny and get itself into a position where it's in the center of action where it can, you know, interact with Ben, that'd be one thing. But it kind of comes out of nowhere. At least mm-hmm. that's how I felt. Yeah. I also I also have a problem with this. Uh, 
not necessarily in like i don't think it's a bad idea to have like a kind of a depressed peter parker who is kind of like a bad dad with a, yeah. with a son that, re- that resents him i don't i don't think that's necessarily uh like too out of left field um my my problem is i've been recently watching the cw superman show superman lois Ooh. and yeah. that takes that that has like a similar idea of like a superhero who is a bad who's who's a really good person but a bad dad and like i think that show does that idea better so having the context of that show and this book existing at the same time kind of makes us feel like an inferior product yeah i can see that which is a um, bit of a bummer and i don't want to compare it because it should be able to stand on its own but i kind of hate that i have reference for a better adaptation of the same idea or a similar idea yeah yeah i i keep going back to this uh story or not story excuse me I keep going back to this article that I read a while ago talking about Batman Beyond. It was written by Chris Sims, who was a comics journalist I really followed very closely for several years. Um, And he talked about how part of the genius of Batman Beyond was that um, it was a Batman story where Bruce Wayne physically could not be Batman anymore. And so he continues to fight crime by proxy. Like... Superman is, or excuse me, Batman is never going to give up fighting uh, crime. And the one aspect of the story that he uh, said didn't really ring true was that for years, Batman just quit. He, he got to the point where he was too weak to actually fight crime unaided, and so he just quit. And that didn't ring true with the character of Batman. And to a certain extent, that's my reaction to this Spider-Man is someone who is so driven by a sense of responsibility slash guilt that the idea that he would give up his fight against crime, that he would give up helping other people when he can help um, for an extended period of time doesn't ring true. Especially since, like, the most famous Spider-Man story, the death of Gwen Stacy, like, that's very similar to what we see with Cadaverous. Only, like... In that instance, it, there's no question Spider-Man is not in any way responsible for the death of Mary Jane. Like, not really. Cadaverous did it. And so why would that drive him to quit when Gwen Stacy di- dying didn't? That said, all of that said, this is an alternate universe story. And I will forgive a lot in an alternate universe story if we wind up getting a good story. And I've got a lot of quibbles with this story, so I'm not sure it, it really earns the benefit of the doubt yeah there was i think everything that i was like hey that's not so bad it was something that was familiar from a previous spider-man story and so it was kind of like uh it's like well here's this but we've seen this before or we've seen here's this thing but we we already know kind of where this is headed you know yeah zombie avengers were pretty cool i you know my position on zombie superheroes firmly against Well then, this is two against one on this one. As per usual. <laughs> That's why there are three of us. It's so that we have no even votes. Yep. The system works. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hate to say this. I really hate to say this. I didn't love the art. Really? I didn't. Yeah, it's Sarah Pacelli. Yeah. I like Sarah Pacelli. 
I don't think it was I bad. I don't know why it didn't but... do it for me in this one. I, I quite... I, I mean, okay, so also, I've read, or I guess I've seen a lot of Sarah Pacelli art. So I'm at the point where, like, I'm, just, I'm not impressed anymore, uh, which isn't a bad thing. I've just acclimated to, to the art style, right? Um, I don't know. I felt that this was perfectly in line with the level of quality I expect from, from that artist. I, I thought that it there could have been... I don't know. Just nothing. Nothing about this book was surprising. The art was okay, but not like particularly exciting. And it was Sarah Pacelli, so I was like rooting for her, you know. But it was just kind of. Eh. Yeah. Um. I, I. I. This is not a bad story, right? This isn't like offensive. No. Um. There are some weird inconsistencies, like structural things. Like, why did the rest of the superheroes disappear? I don't think that's adequately explained unless I missed something, which is possible. I don't think so. I think it had to do something with that the, the Cadaverous event, but they don't yeah, they don't really go into why. Yeah. Like Cadaverous also disappears after that fight with Parker on the bridge. And so it's like the era of superheroes is over. The supervillains and the superheroes went away. But why? Why did they all go away? I don't understand. Why does Peter Parker look like a low-budget Keanu Reeves? I have no idea. I have no idea. Kind of a shame. I hate to say this because I don't want to be one of those hipsters who's like, I dislike J.J. Abrams before it was cool to dislike J.J. Abrams. (laughs) Uh, But here we go. But this feels about the level of quality and amazing that I expected from a J.J. Abrams book, which is not very much. Like, I, I, I was hoping for Star Trek, and instead I got uh, End of Lost, I guess. I don't know. No, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. No. I wasn't, like, angry when I finished it. I was just underwhelmed. I mean, granted, I'm also, I'm also one of the few people who thinks that, like, the Star Trek movies have been okay. I don't think they're as good as people say they are. Even the first they're one? They're not. Yeah. Like, the second one was made me mad because it was just, like, they did their own thing in the first movie and then ran right back to Wrath of Khan. And then the third one was okay, but, like, could have been better if they had kept going onwards you know and upwards. And, seen, you know Seen J.J. Uh, Abrams' uh, forced trilogy because he packed two movies into Ugh. that to one of those. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm just not surprised. Uh, the Star Trek movies yeah. will always feel like an audition tape to make to make Star Wars movies, and then he actually did Star Wars movies, and they're kind of exactly what you know you described. The first <sighs> the first one is uh, new and familiar a little bit, and then the second third one is like, nope, we're just gonna really li- dig into the lore. Oh, it was like an apologist to fanboys, and it's like who who why why do they get to decide? Like creative professionals and like you know uh, like filmmakers who. Who have, like... It also feels really petty. Uh, I just, it, I'm so mad. It feels... It feels really petty. It feels like, oh, I didn't get to... Oh, you didn't do what I wanted to. Uh, so, like, I'm just gonna, like, shoehorn two movies worth of... Anyways, we're not the Star Wars podcast today. No, or the Star Trek podcast. We, uh, I, I think we do need to make the obligatory plug for uh, checking out Patrick H. Willems. And all of the videos that he's made talking about J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, like, check those out if you haven't seen them. They're very good, and it kind of mirrors my opinion on the man. Yep. Or, uh, well, I should actually say informed my opinion on the man. Um, which actually might be one of the bigger strengths of this book. Um, Patrick Willems likes to say that J.J. Abrams doesn't know how to do endings. 
He's very good at beginnings, uh-huh. and he's very good at casting. This is true. You look at Lost. Great cast. Great, great beginning. Um, great beginning. Season one of Lost is really good television. And it's... great stuff in the first Star Trek and first Star Wars as well. Um, Super 8. Super 8 is a great movie that shows... And that it was like an audition tape, too, because it was like, Hey, look, I'm going to make a Spielberg movie... And this proves that I could also make a Star Wars movie, like make it its own thing. But if you want it to feel like this, I can do this, you know. But the but the the third, like the ending of it, is just like, eh, okay, you know, it just falls, kind of falls flat. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this, I kind of was bothered that like Peter Parker had this miracle cure, and I guess it was the only one. And rather than like you know trying to duplicate it or whatever, he was just like, nope. Save, save MJ. I really don't want to be part of my son's life. Goodbye. <laughs> like, you know. I... Okay, but also to be fair, it wasn't that he had it. Uh, his kid found it, and then he, okay, he gave it to the to to his. He didn't know yet. His mom, or or no, no, it was on the ground, and she's the one who picked it up to go give it to him. And then, like in a last ditch moment, before you know the proverbial web hit the fan, uh Heh. He, uh, yeah, thinks, uh, I don't want Steven to have to censor anything. Uh, <laughs> uh, he kind of flipped it on her, right? Like, because he's already on the edge of death anyways. And he just found out that his wife's alive. So it's like, hey, you know who what my son needs? Not a father, but definitely a mother. I just want to point out that this story kind of gives the term deadbeat dad a whole new meaning. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because Peter Parker would rather be dead than a dad. That's it. That's the joke. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I kind of would want to read a sequel, though. Weird as that is, because status like we've seen a lot of different types of Spider-Man, right? Have we ever seen Spider-Man and Spider-Mom? No. Because that's what this sets up. I would love to. That's true. That that seems more interesting than I don't know. It's just like I mean, it kind of seems more interesting than what we got, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Get no hesitation from me on that one, Holmes. <laughs> I feel bad, although you bought this. Yeah, piecemeal. Uh, <laughs> I also had to wait like you a year waited and a half. for this. I had to wait. <laughs> this, and this is new. Like this just came out last year, right? Like finished. Yes, last rel- year? relatively new. Twenty nineteen. Dang. That's technically two years ago. Twenty twenty was actually a year that actually happened. Not five. It felt like five. It simultaneously felt like a year and twenty. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so yeah, so this started in uh oh gosh, I can't I can't see when it started. Um anyways, but point is it ended in October of like last year. Uh so I had to wait uh I wanna say it was like March or April when it first started coming out. So we got like the first three issues and then we had to wait till like or I had to wait till like uh September before issue four. So I didn't even get zombie Avengers. I didn't get anything real good. <laughs> Until poor Aldo. Until then, you know. <laughs> so, I actually okay. And here's the thing too. So I ended up buying all five issues, but I only read like the first three. Um, and then I found that it was on the thing, and I was like, "Cool, I guess I might as well finish it." And then I finished it for this podcast because <laughs> I had forgotten and lost so much interest. <laughs> and that's a shame, right? You don't want to go into a project like this, uh, big name creator. Uh, kind of an ambitious story. You don't want to walk out of it and say, yeah, it wasn't that good. 
Also, another thing that's a little weird is uh, in the inside the issues, the uh, the the issues each have they're called like Bloodline Part One, Part Two, so far in two point five. Uh, but the name of the book is Spider Man Cadaverous and the Trade. Yeah, Bloodline's actually a better name. I think so, so. too. Yeah, <laughs> makes more sense with with the. Uh... I don't I don't think that's a question because not only is you know the story about the bloodline of Spider-Man but there there's like bloodlines they're like lines of blood they're drawing blood out of Spider-Man it's also Um, yeah like his his web his I was gonna say family tree but it's his his web extends you know to another generation also also yeah yeah, also the the other thing about this book um and I don't know that I picked up on this prior or or during or after but i guess he wrote this with his son jj abrams wrote this with his son okay i was going to ask if you guys knew who uh is it henry yeah yeah henry abrams yeah i don't know if that was like his brother or another family member so that's interesting that it's a father's and son's book about a father and bad father's and son relationship that's kind of hard but oh that makes me want to like it more (laughs) I wonder. I wonder the whole time. JJ was like, "Are you trying to tell me something, Henry?" <laughs> no, don't worry about it. Or is Henry like, "Are you trying to tell me something, Dad? <laughs> do, you, do you want out of this?" He pulls off a glove and he has a hook hand and he's like, "I'll see you later." And he gets on a plane. Yeah. Just leave. Oh, his son is twenty three oh, years old. Okay. Is JJ Abrams that old? I don't know. <laughs> How old is JJ? Now you're gonna make me look up JJ Abrams' age. This is a professional podcast. We should get our facts right. Or. Closest. <laughs> for certain definitions of the word professional he's 54 i guess like to do all the work that he's done for as long as he's done you know he would have to be that old. it's just surprising because i don't think of him as like that much older than yeah him, i mean he doesn't he doesn't look like an old nerd he looks like a young nerd <laughs> he looks like a young nerd if there's one thing that should be for me it's a it's a superhero story about fathers and sons yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like that should be exactly my jam. <laughs> and the fact that this isn't makes me so sad. Uh I also want to point I also want to point out that uh JJ Abrams is is the same age as Adam Sandler and Mike Tyson. <laughs> oh my and god. That's messed Carter. Up. Wow. Okay, oh. wow. Yeah. And Gordon Ramsay. They're all the same age? That is wild. Mm-hmm. And R. Kelly. Gordon Ra- Gordon. Well, we don't. Let's, okay, we can let's, Yeah, we don't have to right? talk about him ever again. Right, John Favreau. There we go. There you go. There we go. Oh, hey, wait, hold on. I wanted to say um, this is a J.J. Abrams product, and so of course there's a uh, Greg Grunberg cameo. Did you guys catch that? No. No. All right. Turn with me and your hymnals to the second issue. I'm not going to. I'll just let you talk me. Okay. This. Well, he's there. I need to see it. <laughs> he rescues. He like right after he gets his costume on, he rescues oh. a guy from some rubble. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I did. Some of the find... better dialogue in the book right here, actually. Uh-huh. I didn't find, um... but yeah, it's straight up Greg Grun- Grunberg. I didn't find the name Kelvin anywhere. I haven't gone through and like looked closely at all the like books on the shelves or building names or anything like that. Uh, but you know that it's there. Hmm. Which took me out of Star Wars and Star Trek, and it bothered me. <laughs> what what is his name? Greg what? The actor Greg Grunberg. He is he was on Heroes. He was actually the pilot of the plane oh. in Lost. He is one of the the star pilots in Star Wars, and he is the James Kirk's the, the voice of James T. Kirk's stepfather in the first Star Trek, etc. 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 He's in a bunch of stuff. Now that I've seen his face, yep, that was definitely him. Yep. 
Yep. And actually highlighting that scene, you get stuff like, um, I'm sorry, going back to the actual writing. <laughs> um, Spider-Man is talking to, to Greg and he's like, Greg's like, you don't seem very good at this. And Spider-Man says, I'm trying my best. And then Greg says, try harder, please. Like some of the dialogue is good. And this book has some of the levity that I feel like was missing from Spider-Man Civil War. Yeah. But the, then you've got that tonal whiplash <laughs> that makes it kind of troubling. Oh, it's almost that thing I said. It is, <laughs> it is almost exactly that thing you said. What I'm hearing Steven saying is that he wants more Spider-Man. We've read two Spider-Man books, but he hasn't gotten his fix. Basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what we should do is uh, oh, we should sit down and watch uh, Spider-Verse after this. Yeah, that'll, that's oh, good gosh. for what ails you. Really and that's a generally a good idea any day of the week. Oh, absolutely. It's one of those, there's a couple of movies that have come out recently that I'm deliberately not watching so that I don't watch them to death and then I can't watch them anymore because I've seen them too often. So I'm not watching that. I'm not watching Knives Out. I'm not watching Ford versus Ferrari on purpose. You know, I because still have not seen Knives Out. Oh my gosh, Aldo. Aldo, it's so good. Dang it. It's not Here's bad. my problem, though. <sighs> that is exactly what everybody says. <laughs> yeah, okay, so that's fair. Give it some time, forget about the hype, and then just watch it on your own terms, and uh, yeah, you'll love yeah. it. I, I, hate, I hate to be the hipster guy, but something, something about everybody saying it's amazing for some reason turns me out from wanting to watch something. No, I'm uh, that's why I didn't watch The Good Place until like it just ended. Like I was oh, probably finishing okay. it up as the finale was Yeah, I was just like I'll get around to it. Get off my back. And then everyone was like it's so good and I was like it can't be. Shut up. Leave me alone. <laughs> like don't try to tell me what to do. Like I know what I'm about. And uh yeah, and it turns out it was very good and I enjoyed it immensely. But I still stand by the practice of shut up and don't tell me what to do, everyone in the entire world. <laughs> yep. Okay, good. I feel less bad about having not watched Knives Out, even though I totally should have. No. More, more of it's like, hey, you're going to really enjoy this and I can't wait to talk with you about it. Less like, get on it! Yeah. On the theme of shut up and don't tell me what to do, should we rank these stories? <laughs> shut up! Don't tell me what to do! Yeah, shut up, Steven. Shut up, shut up, shut up. No, I, feel, I, feel, I feel bad now. <laughs> what is that? Oh, what is that song? I should have like, said, shut up, I, shut up. It's called Shut Up. It's by the Black Eyed Peas. There you go. There's one of the only... I was really kind of disappointed in Disenchantment, or Disenchanted, the... Uh, the, the uh, Matt Groening show on Netflix that's like medieval times fantasy or whatever. Because on, on paper, it's like the, this is really talented people and it like it looks great and everything. But like it wasn't quite as funny or like it wasn't quite what I was expecting. But there are a few little things that are funny. One of them is the mom is consoling her child and going, and then she keeps going, shut up. Shut up. She's just telling her child to shut up, and it starts off as like a nice cooing, kind of like, you know, consoling kind of thing, and it's just like, shut up. Shut up. It's really funny. <laughs> yeah, this two Spider Man books, and we didn't quite get our Spider Man. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like Spider Man is frequently mediocre, unfortunately. When he's good, he's so good. Yeah. But that isn't. Like, the default. Which, what does that mean? Like... Everyone has a Spider-Man story, but just because you have one doesn't mean it's any good. Oh, that's mean. Yeah. That's mean. Yeah. I don't have a Spider-Man story. If I had a Spider-Man story, it would just be him swinging in uh, like he did in uh, Runaways when the Runaways go to New York. And he gives him... 
he gives them a good advice about being a teenage superhero, but really it's to stall them until the Avengers show up to kick him out of New York. I would write a story where he loses his powers, and it's really about him trying to continue to be in Spider-Man. Ugh. <laughs> would he dance in the street? <laughs> no. I would write a story about Spider-Man having to adopt a, a baby girl and learning to juggle being a superhero and being a single dad. Of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, so let's rank these stories. So currently on our list, we have 143 stories. And on the theme that John and I were just talking, that when Spider-Man is good, it's transcendent. Um, our top 10 has two Spider-Man stories in it with uh, number 11 and number 12 are also Spider-Man stories. Like, we have so many Spider-Man stories. Spider-Man is in two of the other top 10 because they're, you know, big event books where he is featured. Yeah. And Spider-Man, Miles Morales' Spider-Man, admittedly, but Spider-Man has some of the best stuff in Secret Wars. Mm -hmm. Um, Then at the bottom of the list, we have the bottom two stories are both Spider-Man stories. One more day and the evil that men do. So Spider-Man is all over the place on this list. Yeah, if you get it wrong, then that's a it's it's a heavier sin. Yeah, you mean would you would you say that's part of sins past? I would. A heavier sins. Oh gosh, sins past four of the <laughs> one four three of, the, of right the bottom five stories are Spider-Man stories. Oh gosh, how is sins past not lower than that? Uh, because Eminem because because oh, John forward. really hates Eminem Punisher. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's let's rank. Um, Spider-Man War at Home, the Civil War tie-in. Hmm. Like, it goes above Civil War. This is this is some of the best stuff in the Civil War event, so I do think it goes above Civil War. I'm not sure how much higher. Tentatively, like, my opening bid is that it goes at number 70, which is currently Star Wars and New Hope manga, above that under the original Secret Wars event, which, I don't know, maybe it goes above that. It go, Maybe it goes above... I don't know. The next the next few are good standalone, like Black Bolt, Home Free, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, BFF, that's like the first trade um, from Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Uh, She-Hulk, The Good Old Days. Is that where uh, Cap is on trial? Or is that that's Cap on trial. She-Hulk. Yeah, see that? I don't know, but here's, here's, here's my argument for... Spider-Man being this this Spider-Man run being higher is that we get just the best cap speech and surely yeah. that's enough to elevate it a few places because it's it's important then it's important today um and I feel bad because I I liked you know how you know Peterman uh, P- Peterman yeah I'm <laughs> Peter going to call him Peterman from Peter now on <laughs> Spider-Man was just torn up in this book. And, you know, there's even a cover where, like, all these, you know, super hands are pulling at him, you know. And uh, we have J. Michael Straczynski in our bottom ten, or our bottom five, or our bottom three twice because of, you know, how this, this you know, followed up. Um, but this is exceptional writing, you know, and where it's only okay, it's still, like, you know, the plot is is... You know, a good read, I think. So I would say, you know, based on Cap's speech alone, that it should be a little higher. I just don't know how high. I will say this. Yeah. I think I think when Straczynski's allowed to kind of fly on his own, I think he's a really good writer. Um, I do think the worst stuff that comes out of Straczynski is entirely Quesada's fault. <laughs> um, I, 
think that there's a case to be made for that. Uh, this is this is definitely not the worst Straczynski. No. My immediate gut reaction to, to John's statement is that I like this story better than the... Or I don't like the story as much as Star Wars A New Hope manga. Like, I'd rather read that. But at the same time, I don't know. That cap speech does put it up pretty high. Um, the fact that this does, I think, what Civil War is trying to do a little bit better than Civil War does means something... So I think, at the very least, we're in the right area. I don't know that I necessarily want to put it up as high as John, but I do think we're we're in the area for it. Although, where where are you I, thinking? I'm thinking I'm thinking uh, lower sixties. Wait, lower sixties meaning like sixty one, or lower sixties meaning like sixty eight? Oh, uh, like sixty one. Okay. I see what you try to avoid there, but um, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I I don't know. I think part of me. I don't know why, but I decided like blind spot was like a good place to not put it lower than, which is one of the Jessica Jones stories. Yeah, which one was that? Blind spot is the one that wasn't as good as the other one, <laughs> 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 which was Purple Daughter. Purple Daughter was the good one. I was gonna one. say it was not Purple Daughter, but I can't remember what happens. Oh, in blind, blind spot was the one where there was the guy who like split in two. Yeah, yeah I, I remember blind spot now. Yeah, you know what? I think this is better than Blind Spot. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know that it's better than Purple Daughter. I think Purple Daughter was pretty dang good. Uh, I'd agree. I think it's better, or it's not as good as Purple Daughter. Um, I don't know. It's interesting because I'm going up this list, and it's like, ah, uh, man. I actually think I liked Rogue and Gambit better than this, but I like this better than Moon Knight. I would, but I like so. Okay, so I like this better than Avengers: The Children's Crusade. Uh, so here's my pitch: as I want to put this above the Gwenpool Holiday Special Mary mix-up, but not above Thanos Annual. <laughs> <laughs> the Thanos Annual, <laughs> I just keep coming back to him ruining that guy David's exactly. birthday. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's the spot. Okay, I, I like it. That's that. That's fifty-six. Cool. Cap's cap speech is not an, not good enough to put it above Thanos's pettiness. <laughs> Here's the thing. I've seen Cap's speech there co-opted by a bunch of people who are using it as an excuse to ignore the news entirely. Can't do that. Can't stick your head in the And that's not the fault of the speech, the necessarily. No. But, like, that's not the point. The point is to do what's right, not yeah. do the opposite of what the media says. You know what's right, yeah. Stephen? It's printing your own... F- your <laughs> it's printing your own fake uh, vaccine card. That's what's right. Oh, my gosh. I have a medical condition that prevents me from wearing a mask, and you can't ask me what it is because that's a violation of HIPAA. That's not what HIPAA means. I think you're just allowed to hit those people. I mean, I mean, don't. If you're listening to this, don't. <laughs> it's not legal advice. And it's not legal advice, and you should ignore it. But I would not feel bad if these people. I were, would support uh, you, you know, on an emotional, but not legal level. In theory, it would be nice if these people stepped on Legos every day for the rest of their lives. <laughs> Like, you shouldn't. It, it's kind of like, you know, the whole punching a Nazi thing. Like, really, you shouldn't punch a Nazi, but uh, if no, somebody after, happened to no, punch a Nazi after... and then record, like, footage of it and then make a vine out of it to the tune of Akon Smack That, oh. I'm not saying I wouldn't watch it on loop. Or seeing someone punch a Nazi right and playing Indiana Jones music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, anyway, let's... uh Cameras. Let's... Let's rank Cadaverous. Cadaverous doesn't go this high. No. Yeah, I was going to say, it's funny that you use uh, rank to describe, cad- or to talk about, I mean, uh, 
I mean, it's not that bad, though. No, okay. it's just... It's too familiar. It's too... It, it's disappointing more than anything else. I hate using this word because it always sounds like an insult, but it's not. It's kind of mediocre. It's just... Maybe it is an insult. Mediocre! Maybe it is, yeah, maybe it is an insult. It's not amazing, but it's not terrible. It's just middling. That's the word. That's the other M word that isn't an insult. Actually, it is. All the M words are insults. It's middling. <laughs> the story wanted to die historic on the Fury Road, but it is mediocre. <laughs> that's a uh, side note. That's a really good movie. <laughs> Look, it's insane. It is a really good movie. Yes, it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is insane how good that movie Wait, is. About Fury Road? Um, yeah. Fury. Don't try to trick us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I bought, I bought the, uh, what's it called? The black and chrome version. Is it good? I haven't watched it. It's Fury Road, but, but in black and white and like very little dialogue, which they're already. So yeah, it's fine. I (laughs) like it. I like it a bunch, but I'm also a little, I don't, listen, I'm not a hipster, I promise, but I do love me some art house stuff, (laughs) some art house film stuff. And that, that is as as art house. Sorry, I can't, I can't hear you through your V-neck. What did you say? Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) try saying saying what you wanted to say after you're done flicking your clothes (laughs) because I can't hear it through the haze all I'm going to say is if you've ever wanted to experience an art house action film that's that's the one (laughs) you get credit for for doing an art house action movie without having to like go sit through a a less than stellar action I don't know Fury Road's really cool yeah it's so good (laughs) anyways that's not um, Cadaverous. Yeah, we're not talking about Fury Road. We're talking about uh, Cadaverous, which... Oh, so I'm looking somewhere in the hundred and teens. Oh, wow. I think. Okay. That's higher than I was thinking, because I would put it below uh, the Marvel Valentine special, which is currently 122. I I was way off the mark, because I was looking at Earth X. <laughs> that's pretty high. <laughs> that's 74, yeah, that's... Uh... Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. Not above Messiah War, even, which Messiah War is the weak middle chapter of a great X-Men arc. Here's the thing. I put this on par with something like, uh, personally, I'm putting this on par with something like that New Warriors story that was like, had a bunch of interesting ideas that didn't do anything. Um, that Ghost Rider Christmas special that has this really great concept that kind of didn't do anything. What was that story? He it, it's Ghost Rider Robbie Reyes uh fighting oh, Krampus? Okay. And it was written by Method That's Man? That's right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, like that should be good and for some reason it just wasn't. We got to get some good Ghost Rider because I don't think he's well represented on our list. Oh, he's not. There is good Ghost Rider. I've there read gotta some. be. Cuz There is. It's just not here. <laughs> no. Um we'll we'll Get there eventually. But anyway, that, that's kind of my thought. I could be talked in almost any direction to uh, to a point. I would put it, um, ugh, like, ugh. I'm just looking at I'm like, ugh, damage control, that was dated and bleh. And like, Spider-Man, like the parody comic, that's just, I don't really care to read that again. Uh, yeah, I would put this, see, I would read Extremis before I reread this. So, I'm, I'm saying 122. Or 123, so I'm lower than I think where you guys want to be. See, and so I, you guys can... Yeah, and I'm going out. up. Because I would rather read this over, like, Exiles. I would rather read this over, like, the GLXmas special. 
Exiles is such an interesting idea. It's just I feel the, like the characters that go through is like I, I don't care about these weirdos, but I care about like who they're visiting as they hop I, from. You know. I would I would certainly prefer to read those over long shot. Well, I'd prefer to get three teeth pulled accidentally than read long shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think I think I can back up that statement, John. Seriously, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> That jumped it up really high from where I was thinking, <laughs> but uh, the uh, point I about long would, shot is a good one. <laughs> yeah, I think I would. Uh, I think I would. I don't know. I feel like I top out like at Star Wars Vader Down or, or Love and War. You know, Thirst Killies. Thirst Killies. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, it's definitely like, under Vader Down. I like Vader Down. I don't know why Vader Down is as low as it is on the list, but I think it was just okay. How did? Yeah, I'm looking at the list. How did Vader Down wind up lower than Five Ronin? Yeah, that is weird. That's weird. How did that happen? I don't know. <sighs> Maybe we need to have like a rescue episode where we like shuffle it a bit and <laughs> fix fix. Because somebody argued in favor of something at some point and they were wrong, and I know it wasn't me. So you guys have some splitting to do. Anyways, uh, that's that's my top. <laughs> Vader's my top. You know what? I actually think I like Vader down as a ceiling on this. Cool. I kind of would prefer to read Love and War, but no, I, I think we could put it between them. You know, I, I I'm a little bit more inclined to put Love and War just because that one is a little bit more comedic. Uh, so I mean, it's it's enjoyable to a point. It's like eh, you you really need to take a cold shower, but there's there's humor, there's fun, colorful art. Rips. Okay, so we'll put it at 105 then. Yeah. 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 Let's put it between Vader Down and Love and War. So number 105. Cool. Love and war come to you and your thirst chili thirst killies too. <laughs> Good effort. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, next episode. We are going to finish what we started. We're going to visit a story arc that uh man, our first time reading this story was in our what, second episode where we read the tape? Yeah, that's what it says on uh, the list here. Yep. Yeah, we're, we're revisiting the Hawkeye series from the Matt Fraction Davidaha Hawkeye series. Uh, and we're going to finish it by reading the last two story arcs. So that's going to be Hawkeye, the 2012 series, issues 12 through 22. Um, the trades are L.A. Woman and v- Rio Bravo. Right, and uh, technically this is actually only uh, 10 issues, because we already read the Hawkeye Wintertime Winter Friends Winter Fun special, <laughs> which is in here. Yeah. Um, so I think technically that would be excluded. But, I mean, that's technically, I think, fewer issues than we would normally read, but this is two stories. And the conclusion I of the big... It is the conclusion of the big meta arc uh-huh. that runs over the whole series. Yeah. But it's also, you know, the Kate Bishop, L.A. Woman stuff, and then Hawkeye's last stand with Rio Bravo. I I really, like, and maybe this is because I read it in the trade, because I know that um, the L.A. Woman stuff was, and the the Rio Bravo stuff were alternating stories. I don't remember Um, them happening like that, but we'll take a look at it. I thought it was like all of Kate Bishop stuff, and then we returned to... You know, what's happening with Clint Barton. Yeah, and that's the way it was published in the trades. But as I recall, it alternates between the two. And while we're at it, actually, we need to throw the Hawkeye Annual in there as well. Oh, is there a Hawkeye Annual? Because that's part of it. That's part of the Kate Bishop stuff. Okay. Cool. Not going to complain about more Hawkeye. 
Yeah, Hawkeye Annual 2013. That's part of the Kate Bishop stuff. So anyway, we're going to read all that, and oof, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it because it's been a while since we've talked about Hawkeye. It's been a while. It's a, it's a good book. Siren. Yeah. Hawkeye Comics. By the way. Siren Kate Bishop. <laughs> it's funny that he doesn't go for the doors. He goes for Stained. <laughs> This generation's going to hell. <laughs> is that is that a call and response we have to do from now on? Because I'm okay it, with yeah, that. Yeah, it's instinctual okay. at this point. Because yeah. I think Steven says it's been a while. He does. Often enough, often enough for it to be a thing. And I do, and I do it often enough that I think it is a thing. Okay. Well, like, I mean, all right. Do you want do you want me to read her badly? Do you want me to do you want me to love these books badly? <laughs> Want me to break on through to As the other trades? <laughs> break on through to the other trades. <laughs> <laughs>